Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. In this podcast series, we've been talking with educators we know are thoughtful and effective to hear how they are coping with the unprecedented closure of their school buildings and how they're planning for the future. Today, June 15th, we are circling back to talk to two of the educators we talked with back in April to see how they and their district are doing. We're talking with Melinda Young, Superintendent of Steubenville, Ohio, and Lynette Gorman, Principal of West Elementary School and Curriculum Director for the elementary schools in Steubenville. In April, Mrs. Young said that in some ways, the closing of the school buildings jump-started change and creativity. I'm hoping we'll hear more about that today. Welcome, Mrs. Young and Mrs. Gorman. Thank you. Hello, thank you. I saw that Steubenville had protests last week and that the mayor joined the protesters. Have you as a school system been able to address the questions that were raised in the wake of the George Floyd murder? Well, Lynette was actually at the protest. I was on vacation, so I'll let her actually speak um, a little bit to that. Um, I think that we, we've spoken to it through our social media platforms, um, the way that we feel, you know, we support, of course, we support Black lives. Um, I think that um, it would be a difficult thing to teach Black children and not support what the Black community is going through at this time and really just throughout history. Um, I did, my husband and I made it a point to go to the protest that was happening in downtown Steubenville on Sunday in front of the courthouse. Again, we just felt like it was important to to, uh, support the people who live in our community, to support um, uh, the Black community throughout the nation, and um, just to make sure that we were there to to lend any any positive remarks or um, just for support to be there. And there was about a crowd of 100, 100 people, 100, 100, 100 people, and it was very peaceful. There were um, speakers who were there. We were recognized as, as being there. I had uh, former students and current students who were in attendance with their signs, and so we made sure that we were going around and telling them how very proud we were that they were there and um, do, standing up for, you know, for what they felt was the right thing to do. Uh, I should note your husband is the, is the principal of the high school. He is. So you're closing up the school year uh, now, though. How is that going? Well, we actually have been closed for two weeks. Um, so we're actually in the process right now of planning for, um, the next school year. We've actually been planning for the next school year since pretty much when we were closed, um, March 17th. Um, we're just looking at different scenarios. We're hoping to, um, get additional guidance, um, from the state. We're, um, our hope is to come back as close to normal as we possibly can. Our intentions is to open, um, in some manner, um, pretty much no matter what, even if we have to go to a blended schedule. But our hope is um, with our teachers and classrooms and using gyms that we will be able to open up all day, every day. The only exception would be our public preschool classes that four-year-olds would go three days a week and two-year, I mean, 
four-year-olds, three-year-olds would go two days a week. And Lynette's been um, actually leading um, that committee, especially at the elementary um, level. So you're the first people I've talked to hoping to reopen as normal as possible, you know, in that normal as possible uh, range. Are you thinking that, well, I'm, I'm sort of surprised, all kids all days, except for the little ones? Um, what we're looking at is if um, it seems like they're talking about us going to half capacity. So if we take the half capacity in each of our classrooms at the elementary, middle and high school level, but use all teachers to teach, they might not be um, properly certified, but they'll be able to um, teach those subjects or um, at the middle school and high school that they would have their regular teacher um, three days a week and then two days a week for extended periods. But the other um, teachers who have the specials would watch them the other days and they would um, have enough work to do online, but we would actually have access to them in school. And we are having um, conversations with parents who don't want their children to come back into the schools to um, have a high quality um, online learning environment that they would actually be part of the classroom with their typical classroom teacher. So they would zoom into a regular classroom? Correct. Wow. Um, Well, that's, this is the first time I've heard somebody really trying to plan that. I I was looking at the Ohio website and I didn't see any guidance from the, from the state to schools. Are you receiving any? Um, They're still, I think, in the planning process for um, preschools. Um, They actually have the guidance for um, daycare, you know, for that preschool age and students. So we're actually trying to use that as um, a guidance. You can have one adult with nine students, but you're able to actually um, use barriers as long as they're six feet tall and, you know, they have to be sturdy, of course, that you can um, have extra different groups in the same classroom. So that's how we're hoping to do it with our threes and fours. And then with the other classes, the elementary teachers got together and they were able to look at their buildings and also um, the special teachers. And they're able, they're pretty confident that they can divvy that up to be able to um, provide education all day, every day for any parent that would want to send their children. We feel that we really, um, most children do do better um, in-person instruction. That's, you know, our feeling, and especially with our population, we would definitely like to have as many students come back as we possibly can. So, but there are going to be these physical things that you're going to have to do, barriers, toilet lids, sinks, right? All these things. Um, um, We're actually, we have purchased, um, you know, um, thermometers for every building, but we're hoping to be able to get the infrared ones that are actually over the door. We have several salespeople that are actually going to be coming this week and next week to give us um, a price on those. And um, how they work is what it's been explained to me is if somebody with the temperature walks in, it'll actually take a picture of that person. So we would able to pull them aside and actually take a a temperature, you know, one-on-one with them. So um, that's one big expense. I have no idea how much those will cost, but I think they will be a significant amount. Also with busing, we um, are still trying to work out the busing issue with ourselves. Um, Ohio is talking about exempting busing um, 
for social distancing, which um, I'm not exactly sure how they do that, but we are really going to try. They put in an application to the coronavirus for a waiver. No, no transmission during transportation, but we're hoping enough of our families would either be able to walk to school or find other transportation. We're trying to limit that public transportation as much as we possibly can and also, um, you know, have additional routes. Um, We've purchased um, quite a few masks. We have disposable masks and we also have uh, masks that have our Steubenville logo on them. We've also talked about um, shields to have the teachers. Well, actually, we um, ordered um, medical grade shields for them so the students would be able to actually see them when they're talking. Um, We talked about possible shields for the bus um, as well. I would say, I don't know, Lynette, if you agree with me, the the busing seems to be our, um, our problem right now, that we're really trying to figure out how we would do that. We have about 900 currently that ride the bus daily. And we do not trans, um, transport high school students. So that's 900 grades pre-K through eight. Huh. Okay. Well, so um, will you be holding summer school or is that in abeyance? We haven't looked back at, you know, summer school at this point. Um, I know at East um, Garfield, um, Trish Sakosh is actually the new principal there. Sean Crozier retired. Um, She would like to have sort of a boot camp two weeks before school starts and have half day sessions for students to come back. And we really want to hit hard um, using our technology and um, using the, um, the Chromebooks just to get those students really um, self-sufficient on those computers in case we do have to, um, again, we really hope it doesn't happen, but just in case it does, if we have to go completely online. So I know you, the last time we talked, you said you were surveying parents. How did the, those surveys come out or, or are you still analyzing them? Are you still doing them? Uh, We were kind of surprised because about, um, I think, 16% said that they were going to continue online, that they would like some full-time online learning. And that would also somewhat help us open as well, because that would be less students actually in the buildings if we do have that um, happen. Um, The majority of our families want their children to come back full-time. And Lynette can actually speak to that because she's had, I think, only three families that have contacted her for um, all day, every day online. Right. Next year, uh, my enrollment is up to 490 students, and I've only had probably three or four families contact me. Um, They are grandparents who are actually um, caring for their grandchildren, and they're, they're at risk. Um, because of their age or because of their health circumstance. And so they wanted to know, you know, what were we doing to accommodate any child who may want to stay home? Um, And they were inquiring about an an online schooling company. And, you know, we've reassured them that, no, we definitely are going to have an online option. It's already in the works. Um, If you're a third grader in Mrs. Smith's classroom you will be instructed on the exact same things as the kids who are physically in that classroom um, through, you know, with her, through Google Classroom, um, through me remote learning. And then when, you know, things ease up, if there's a vaccine, when grandparents start to feel a little more comfortable, then that child can enter that classroom and really not even skip, skip a beat instructionally. Well, 
you you said you were jumpstarting creativity. This sounds like you're doing that. Um, what are you most worrying about? I think just like Mrs. Young said, transportation um, is definitely a worry. Um, for me personally, I have the largest elementary school building, um, and we do have a lot of, of students who are pick up and drop off and who ride the bus. So just the logistics of, you know, where they're going to enter the building, um, if it's still going to be a concern, are we going to have different entrances? Um, are we going to have a rolling start time um, where we are bringing grades in um, at slightly different times, staggering the start time? and even the dismissal time um, just to ease up some of that traffic. Um, I think I read yesterday that here in Jefferson County, Ohio, I think that we only have three active cases currently, and none of those cases are hospitalized. So we're just hoping that here in Ohio, and especially here in Jefferson County, that the trend continues to where you know people are not infected. Um, and we really are best case scenario. We're planning for the best case scenario but we're also, you know, we've got a plan B and a plan C in place um, because we, what we don't want to happen is we do not want to be caught off guard like we were in March where you had to just come up with something on the fly. We want to be ready. We want to make it seem, seamless for kids. And we especially want to touch those kids who, you know, maybe they're, they, they don't have internet access. Um, maybe they're not going to, to get online. We want to make sure that we're covering all children and that all children are receiving uh, that same quality education that we expect. Um, are you hearing from students, either elementary or I would think more high school students? Um, are they are they kind of engaging in what it is they're thinking about the fall and and moving forward? They really, um, through all of this, they want to come back to school. They really, um, I think, crave that social. Um, aspect of um, schooling. And, you know, they're saying they definitely want to come back. They miss their friends. You know, that's the vast majority. And also, when you look at the data, it's seven through 12. There is a, that's where most of that population that is saying that they want to continue online. Um, most of the elementaries and especially pre-K, I don't think we had anybody from the pre-K K that was requesting um, you know, the online. We're also still um, trying to get our TV station. And if we're able to get that or work as in partners with the city of Steubenville, we would able, be able to broadcast that as well to students. Now, are you facing the kind of budget cuts that other, other districts are facing around the country? Or has the, are you kind of waiting to see? Well, the state cut us... Um, almost 300,000. We don't know. We were supposed to get our budgets today um, for the next school year, even though it's part of a biennium and they should stay the same. I don't believe they will be staying the same. And as of, I had talked to Lynette, what, about an hour ago? We haven't gotten our, you know, it hasn't come up yet, but I'm guessing that they will um, probably cut us another um, half million dollars um, you know, that we're very um, money conscious in Steubenville, that we really watch every penny we spend. So we do have some money to get us through um, one or two years um, to still be able to offer our students, you know, everything we want to offer. And also, um, there will be a lot of expenses with us bringing students back that we didn't have before. You know, we have to hire additional um, 
janitors. We have to um, hire, you know, have the temperature checks. Um, we also have, um, you know, the cost on the busing, also on all of the chemicals to use. Um, masks are still pretty expensive. We've been trying to um, reach out to different vendors because they went from six cents a mask to about $1.50 a mask. And, um, you know, that's a lot if you're paying $1.50 per student every single day for mask. It, you know, comes to a lot of money. That's why we also have our cloth mask. And even the shields for the teachers were, um, I believe, a little under $20 because you had to get the good shields because the cheaper ones you can't really see through um, as easily. So, I mean, there are a lot of costs and there's the cost with um, additional computers as well. But, you know, we have to do what's best for the kids. And I think that just has always been, um, you know, the um, the way that we felt in Steubenville on my board of education, we have to do what's best for students. But this is the this is the real nitty gritty, right? You have to buy masks, and your budget is getting cut. Exactly I mean, right. Your your, your costs have gone up, and and your budget is going down, and something's got to give in there. What do you think is going to have to give? Um, well, right now, like I said, that we do have a budget surplus, so we're able to um, manage for one or two years. If after two years, if the state, um, like they did with the last economic downturn, it went on for longer than two years, um, really the only place you can pretty much cut is going to be personnel, which means um, it's going to be um, just largest classrooms for students and less personalized um, education. So we're really hoping that this is short-lived and that we've put enough money away to get us through this rough time. Okay, well, thank you so much. I, I want to introduce uh, Tangie Reed Marshall now. She's the Ed Trust Director of Practice. Tangie, you and I uh, talked with uh, Vincent Romano and Sergio Garcia. They were not as uh, sanguine about opening as I think we heard today from Steubenville. Um, uh, they they're being creative and they're figuring it out and they think they'll actually open kind of normally. I, yeah, I think uh, context is everything, right? So for our students of color um, who've been really hit hard by this, we know it really matters that we are paying particular attention to this population that continues to be educated at the margins. And, and what can be done to mitigate that is definitely warranted. Um, I think I'm struck most by the fact that, you know, Melinda said we've got some money put away, so like, like a savings account almost, like it's sitting away and, and waiting, right? And we've got about two years. And so if we, if whatever happens goes on for more than two years, then the landscape's going to look very different. And, you know, we keep talking about the need for students to have high quality education. And it seems as though we have forgotten that high quality education comes at a cost, right? Which has been spelled out now in this new, in this new environment. It means masks. It means shields. It means, you know, um, thermometers of a certain type. So we talk about the cost of the academic piece of this. And now we're talking about the physical safety piece of this, which um, 
in the wake of budget cuts is daunting. And so I, I'm excited that there are um, plans underway to educate as many kids as possible every day with full instruction. That is exciting because I think, you know, students really do want, particularly your K-6 or your pre-K-6 students, want to be in person. And so the degree to which that can get done is necessary. So that's hopeful. Right. That, that emphasis on we, we need to be in person mm-hmm. um, I, I is uh, really powerful. It came through for both uh, Mrs. Young and Mrs. Gorman. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way we educate best. Right. Um, in person. And of course, that was what Dr. Romano and, and Mr. Garcia said as well. It's just they were I think they were right in the uh, throes of ordering sinks and right dividers between the yeah and just like right because I think some of the even the small things that they broke they both brought up folks haven't considered that right like we don't consider you know how will students move within the building right so if I'm in teacher a is on one side of the hallway but I just need to run a note over to teacher b and he or she's across the hallway do I walk across the hallway like I used to, or do I have to go all the way down the hallway and come all the way back up the hallway? So the sort of movement piece of the way school operates, the fluidity of the ways in which the buildings operate is, is um, under, I don't want to say threat, but certainly under consideration, right? The whole way in which schooling happens is, you know. Right. And the idea of how you, get kids off the bus and into the school. That was really, when Mrs. Gorman was talking about that, that seemed Mm -hmm. stress-inducing. Yeah, the bus is stress-inducing anyway. I just had a nightmare right now. I just had a nightmare, flashback nightmare about my last time on a school bus and ouch. And the idea that we think, the idea that we think, and I mean, we, we as a collective adult body, who tries to, you know, tell children what to do. We realize that we can't do that very often, very well, as long as we think that we can. Um, That you're going to get a child on a school bus and tell them to socially distance. And then, but we want them to line up on the bus, to get off the bus. How are we going to do all of this? And again, you know, the CDC put together guidelines, but they didn't have the people who do the work on the task force or committee to help them think through all of the down the line pieces of a very big and complex puzzle. You know, they weren't thinking about the bathroom. No, they, they weren't were not. thinking, right? They weren't thinking about the bus. They weren't thinking about, you know, how do you, you know, should we put students in a classroom to have their lunch all day. Well, that doesn't, that's stressing the adult side of it, right? Like adult can't be in a room with a kid all day without some kind of relief, right? So what happens if the teacher has to go to the bathroom? Like all of the teacher has to go to the bathroom and like the kids got to go to the bathroom. And what about collaboration time? And what about, you know, PLCs and meetings and things like that? So, you know, there's just so much to consider um, when we talk about educating students in a post-COVID physical environment, right? right? Um, Yeah. Mrs. Young and Mrs. Gorman, last week there was a uh, a Senate hearing on reopening schools. 
there was not a district superintendent and there was not a principal on that panel. And as it's not that the state commissioners weren't, you know, didn't have a lot of important information. They did have a lot of important information, but the people actually going to have to implement them, they were, they were not there. And it just seemed crazy to me that they were, you know, like it just seemed often in fairyland instead of, okay, we've got the but we've got 900 kids to transport on the bus. Maybe some of the parents can drive them. You know, maybe they can get, you know, some aunts and uncles to, <laughs> to drive them. That's one thing. But then we still have a bus of kids coming to the door. And, you know, maybe some should go one door and some should go the other door. This is an enormous training, mm-hmm. you know, training in routines and rituals and face mask wearing. And, and trial and error, right? Because somebody's going to forget. And if it was, you know, yeah, I would be that one who forgot, forget. like I'd be the teacher who forgot, right? I would, you know, leave, I might, what happens? Do you have, you know, um, extra supplies of the mass and the shields if a teacher inadvertently forgets his or her shield, right? Um, what's the cleaning process of all those? And do teachers know that, you know, what happens if a child forgets their mask, right? Is the school now providing or the kids are supposed to come with them? Like, you know, how much, how many masks, I'm thinking, you know, Ms. Young, you talked about, you know, having to order masks. How many masks do you order? Because someone's going to take it off. They're going to tear it. It's going to break. They're going to leave it. They're going to, you know, I'm seven. <laughs> from we seven years old. Like we I'm don't mean seven. to increase your anxiety on this, but I, I feel like that's what <laughs> we've <least>. just done. <laughs> right. So sorry, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I was saying those are all things that we talked about too, from even um, one of the buildings didn't have a washer and dryer in it to make sure that for the uh, cloth mask that we can wash and dry those masks as well. Um, You know, have the um, paper mask, have, like you're saying, everything, you have to have so many more supplies than what you actually think you need. And um, we're all in an unknown. So we feel like we have to over plan and over prepare And even with our school nurses, um, you know, they brought up the idea, do you sure you want to order this amount of stuff? And it's like, well, it really won't go bad. Let's hope we really don't need it all, but it's not going to be something that's going to go bad. But there's maybe some supplies we won't have to buy for five years. (laughs) But, you know, that's what we're concentrating on is over-ordering to make sure we have what we need. Because again, we just feel so strongly that we need those students um, in front of us. We really need to see them, make sure they're okay. I think they need to see how much their teachers care about them. And I just think there's a big difference between online learning and face-to-face. And some students do work well on the online environment, but the vast majority of our population, I believe still wants to see their teacher and their friends. Yeah, I agree with that. You do well. I th- that I think uh, that's that's the right note to end on. And I really appreciate the fact that you both took the time. I know it's you're very busy. You've got temperature monitors to to buy and <laughs> masks to order. <laughs> so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So that wraps up this episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. We are hearing from expert educators who are grappling with a challenge never before faced by educators. 
Today, we heard from two people who, along with all the other folks in their district, are facing the challenge with optimism and creativity. If you want to know more about Steubenville, I hope you'll listen to episode three of season one of Extraordinary Districts. Steubenville has a remarkable story to tell. If you have found this conversation valuable, I hope you'll recommend today's episode and the entire series to your friends and networks. Please leave a review wherever you get this podcast. That will help steer people in our direction. If you want to be in touch, you can email extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at Karen Chenoweth or Tanji at remarsh76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. I want to thank everyone at Ed Trust who supports this podcast and thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks and see you next time.